Welcome to the best and most listened to water treatment podcast out there, Scaling Up H2O. Folks, my name is Trace Blackmore. I am the host of Scaling Up H2O. Of course, it's the podcast where we're scaling up on knowledge so we don't scale up our systems. And folks, I am so humbled of all the people out there that are telling other fellow water treatment professionals about Scaling Up H2O. We are having tremendous traction in getting new water treaters out there. Of course, don't stop if you know somebody that does not know about this show, please let them know how they can subscribe to it. As you know, because you all helped me so much with material and letting me know what the show needed to cover, we are now coming at you each and every week, and I love doing that. I love answering your questions. I love it when you guys let me know exactly what it is that you want me to talk about. And of course, I'm going to ask for it again, so go to ScalingUpH2O.com, leave me a voicemail, and I could play your voice on the next episode of Scaling Up, asking me that question. Of course, if I do that, you will get the awesome Scaling Up H2O t-shirt. Everybody wants one. How do you get one? Well, you leave me a voicemail message. Well, maybe you don't wanna do that you can go ahead and go on my show ideas page and let me know what questions you have. Folks, we are going to talk to an individual today who has been requested by many out there in the Scaling Up Nation to come back. Of course, I am talking about Kevin Cope, wastewater treater extraordinaire. If you have never met Kevin in person, I tell you, he can tell a story. He's got his Pittsburgh accent. He's got the biggest personality that you'll ever meet, and he's just such a nice guy. And I tell you, one of the things that I want to do is make the industry better, and I will say that I have seen Kevin do this. It's one of the reasons that he teaches everything that he knows to anybody who asks, like myself. It's one of the reasons that he teaches what he does to the Association of Water Technologies. He is able to tell a story like no other. He can paint a picture in your mind so when he is telling you about what he is teaching, you can visualize it like you are there. Kevin, you are amazing. Of course, you're also amazing because you are sharing that information with the Scaling Up Nation. Folks, I know you are going to love this interview. I know that you are not gonna want to stop this interview when you get to your next account. You're probably gonna sit in the parking lot and wait for it to finish. I love it when you guys share stories about that. I'm sure this is one of them. I hope, I know, I don't need to hope that you are going to enjoy this interview with Kevin Cope. My lab partner today is returning scaling up H2O guest and water treatment professional, wastewater treatment professional, Kevin Cope of Brentag North America. How are you, Kevin? Um, I'm never better, Trace, never better. Thanks for asking. Never better. That is the term that the Scaling Up Nation absolutely loves. And they also love Kevin Cope 
because I have received so much positive feedback when you came on for Water Treatment Week and you talked about what wastewater is. So many people called me or emailed me and said they want more of what wastewater is. So thank you so much for coming on the show and giving the Scaling Up Nation what they're asking for. Well, listen, my pleasure. I had a great time. It's really an honor to be able to uh, give that information to everybody. And again, I, I thank you for having me. So it's, it was great. Thanks. Well, I appreciate you doing it. We're going to talk a lot about the complete wastewater process and what a water treatment professional can and should do today. But before we get there, we're recently seeing each other. Of course, we're recording this and we're going to air it later. But we recently saw each other at the Association of Water Technologies Annual Convention and Expo. So I want to ask you, how did that go for you? Went very well. I mean, had a great time. Um, my wife was able to join me. Um, it was actually my last uh, meeting on the board. Uh, got to say goodbye to everybody at the end of that. But I thought it was an excellent convention. Um, we had a, we had a kind of a, from a from a business standpoint, Brentech standpoint, had a great convention. Got to meet everybody we wanted to meet and meet some new folks. And uh, it just was fun. It was uh, uh, just a lot of fun for everybody involved. Little hot, but but fun for everybody. <laughs> yeah, Orlando was a little bit warm. So, uh, were you on the golf course? I, no, I, I, you know, I'm an artist, and people say, "Why are you an artist?" And my answer is, I'm an artist because it keeps me off the golf course. So, that's that's my answer. <laughs> yes, that's what I heard. Well, people were melting on that golf course. It was hot. I wasn't out there either. But that's when you ask people, "Hey, how'd you play?" They'd say, "It's hot." So that's the answer <laughs> yes. you got. That's what I heard. I also am $50 richer because of Brintag North America. Now, I <laughs> I enjoy marketing. Marketing something that, that I always get into. So when I see signage, I want to see what they've done. Because quite frankly, if it's good, I want to copy it. And I'm reading all of the signage. Uh, and I'm reading everything that Brintag North America can do on one of their signs. And I see chili cheese fries. And I was like, what? What are they talking about? I come up to you and I ask you, are you guys now selling chili cheese fries? You start busting out laughing. And how about you continue the story from there? Well, it was actually my boss, a gentleman named Brian Leota, who came up with the idea because, you know, we always have meetings prior to the conference. and What do we want to achieve? Who do we want to meet with? Things along this line. And, and Brian is always trying to, you know, look different ways. And, uh, it, you know, the signage, and we had the opportunity to put the sign on that one pole, and Brian came up with the idea, let's put chili cheese fries on there to just see if anybody is really reading the signs. And so we, we came up with that idea, or I you know, should say Brian came up with that idea, Barbara Nostein from our, our, our events group put, the, put it on the sign, and we put it up, and lo and behold, I was sitting with Brian when you walked by, and you were the very first person to come up and say something. And it could not have been tied any better, Trace. I mean, you know, Brian, big grin on his face when he thought somebody actually is reading the sign. So it, it, that's what it came from, was us sitting around and, and saying, do people really read these signs? And lo and behold, we got uh, confirmation that someone does. We actually had three people that came up to us uh, and, and, you know, said that they had seen that. But that's how that all started, was just a bunch of people sitting around trying to come up with some ideas. That how could we make this a little more interesting? And that's how that occurred. So thank you, because you could not have picked 
a better time and a better situation to say something about the about the chili cheese fries. Well, Kevin, I love that idea. That's so solution oriented. You guys are wondering, you know, you're spending all this money on the advertising, of course, the space to put the advertising on. Is anybody actually looking at this? What can we do as a company to get some feedback to see if they are looking at that? I love that. That's solution oriented thinking. Well, thanks. And like I said, I that's that I give all credit to Brian Leone on that one. That was Brian's idea and is very, very well received. So and again, thank you for, for, for seeing it. We really appreciate that. So Well, thank you for the fifty dollar Visa gift card. I'm gonna buy fifty dollars <laughs> worth of chili cheese fries now. There you go. There you go. So I'll probably go to the Vortex. Have you been to the Vortex in Atlanta? Um, the Vor- you don't uh you don't you don't mean you don't mean the That's the big uh, skull? Oh no, I was thinking of the um uh, varsity. No, I've not been to the Vortex. I've been to the Varsity. Well, the Varsity would also be a, a good place for the chili cheese fries. So both of those would uh, would work. So when you're in Atlanta next, we'll get some chili cheese fries at one of those places of your choice. Would, would look would look forward to that. Would look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's get to the episode issue. And we've got a lot of listeners out in the Scaling Up Nation that do wastewater treatment. And we have probably just the same amount that don't do wastewater treatment, but they want to, or they're just starting. So Kevin, what I'm hoping that we can do is visually paint for the Scaling Up Nation what we need to do step by step, of course, in a general sense, because we're not at a particular plant, and paint that picture for what people have to do and what they can expect during a wastewater survey. Okay, we can do that. We can do that. So let I, me start you up. So uh, okay. we are now getting out of our car. We've pulled up to the plane. Of course, we've had the conversation going up uh, to that customer's uh, location. Now we've parked the car. We've probably looked at things as we drove in. Now we're outside of the car. We might be grabbing equipment. What are we doing? And take us from there. Well, let's, I mean, let me just, I want to just be real clear that we've already talked with the plant and we know exactly what their needs are. They need to meet discharge limits. They need to reduce costs. They need to reduce the amount of sludge they're generating. So we've already found that out. That has already been done. And now we're going into the plant for the first time to survey the plant and run some tests and and understand, you know, how can we help this customer? So we're at that point now because we went through a lot of that when we did the last podcast, the preliminary information that you need to obtain before you start to run a test. So we're, we're, we're past that. So when you walk into the plant for the very first time, obviously you go through all the safety requirements, make sure you have the proper PPE, make sure you've signed in all the specific documents you need. So you're walking into the plant for the first time. And each plant is going to be different. But one of the things that you're going to find out is every time you tour a plant, the person that's taking you on the tour will tell you, this is the most unique thing you'll ever see. And I've been doing this for 40 years, and I can count on one hand and one finger the only most unique thing I've ever seen. But at the same time, it's unique to them because they don't have the opportunity to see all these different facilities. So, you know, yes, it is very unique to them, but that's their only one single point of reference. So I'm always cautious to, to say, wow, that is really unique. I've, you know, I've never seen, I've seen something similar to that, but just be aware of that, that that's one thing that that uh, that the customers will tend to, you know, uh, tell you that this is the most unique thing you're going to see. And so and we, we do, a, we do, as you know, I do the wastewater training for the AWT. 
And we, we do a section on walking people through the plant. And if you look at a typical waste treatment plant, so they'll have some of these, they'll, uh, some they won't have, some they will have, some will be continuous, some will be batch. But some of the areas that we're going to focus in on talking about are what's called screening, equalization, primary treatment, biological treatment, sludge thickening, sludge dewatering, and filtration. So those are the, what is it, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven things that you potentially can see in a plant. Again, not every plant will have this, but every plant could have this. And so when, when you just start thinking about, you know, the original, the, the, the first thing you're going to come into is screening. And what screening is, is really an area where you're taking out the big things, the, the, the large pieces of, of maybe a piece of pipe that falls into the plant or somebody's hard hat or gross amounts of oil or gross amounts of heavy solids. And we call that screening. And that's really done just to keep any of this real big stuff from coming into the plant, screwing up, you know, uh, pumps, plugging up piping. So, you know, it's called screening. Sometimes it'll be nothing more than a big open pit. Sometimes they'll actually be screens. And, and all that's designed to do, again, is to get the big junk, if, as it were, out of, the, out of the wastewater. So, again, that's the first thing. And, and typically there, you know, you really aren't going to do any testing. It's just, it's there just to re remove things. And then the next, the next really important area you're going to come to is what's called equalization. And what equalization does is it basically takes and equalizes not only the flow of the water, but all the contaminants. And Dave Ritz uh, does a really great job of explaining equalization. And if you would think of like waves, real high waves, like you see in, when somebody's recording music, and, it's, and I'm sitting here drawing it with my finger in the air, but the waves are very, very high and up and down, up and down. And then it comes to the equalization tank. And then at the other side of the equalization tank, those waves are very, very small, not as, not as widely spread. And really what the equalization tank is doing is equalizing the flow and equalizing the contaminants. And the reason that that's important is as those contaminants come in, or the flow, and you're trying to treat those, you're constantly, if you don't have good equalization, you're constantly turning up or turning down your pump. You know, and it, and it makes for a very, very, very difficult treatment program if the equalization is not adequate or even in place. And a lot of times, that's one of the biggest problems that we see is people just don't have adequate equalization. So I don't know if I'm being real clear on that, but it, there's, there, you know, that sometimes we can feed chemical into the, into the equalization, but for the most part, it's really just there to equalize the flow into the plant. All right? Sure. I think that makes perfect sense. Yeah. And, and that's really a very, very important, you know, part of, of, of a treatment plant that we see, even if it's a batch treatment or if it's continuous. And, you know, the difference, obviously, with batches, you fill the tank up, you put your chemicals in and allow the reactions to occur. Continuous is the water's flowing continuously into your facility, and you're treating on a continuous basis, and the water is being clarified um, through some kind of a continuous operation. So that's the, kind of the, the, the next step is equalization. So screening, equalization, and then we have what we call primary treatment. And this is really kind of where the rubber hits the road. Um, you have either a, a dissolved air flotation, 
an induced air flotation clarifier. It can be a circular clarifier. It can be a rectangular clarifier. It can be a parallel plate clarifier, also known as lamella. So every place will differ on what their primary clarification is. And I, I don't, do, you, do you want me to explain all of those, or is that is that sufficient, Trace? I think that's great, but if you're okay. willing, yeah, educate the Scale It Up Nation. Okay, well, okay, let's talk first about dissolved air flotation. And you also hear bubble air flotation, now various other names for it. But with dissolved air flotation, what happens is we take some of the wastewater, usually clean wastewater coming off the end of the system, put it into a pressurization tank, and then release that water uh, from outside from the pressurization tank where it's mixed with air. And I live in Pittsburgh, and so in the summer times and in the fall, we will get water and we'll pour from our tap, and there'll be white bubbles, very, very tiny bubbles that will come to the top. And that's what a dissolved air, the, the DAF, dissolved air flotation, is designed to do, is to create these micro, very fine bubbles and have those bring the solids to the top of the unit where it's then skimmed off. So that's what's called a dissolved or a gas air flotation. They're units that are designed to, by the use of air to bring the solids, uh, be it oil, be it light solids, to the top where it can be skimmed off. A clarifier does just the opposite. A clarifier is designed for the particles to come to the bottom. And at the bottom, then there's some kind of a rake system that rakes the solids out of the clarifier. And those are typically used when the solids are a little heavier. I, <laughs> I actually treated at a, at a bowling ball facility years ago. They actually had a dissolved air flotation tank in a bowling ball manufacturer. Now, those things are heavy, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the comment, Trace, was really you're, you're trying to float bowling balls. And I mean, I, I, to this day, I still laugh about that one. But, uh, it, you know, but, you know, and I always make this comment that when you see something like that, there's always a salesman out selling the equipment. You have to remember that, that, you know, there's somebody that sold this piece of equipment and he must have been a pretty darn good salesman to sell a flotation system and do a bowling ball facility. Um, but, but typically what you do is if the stuff, and, and again, the, and the engineers do this, but if, if the materials will settle, you use a clarifier and a clarifier is just a big open area where the solids can settle to the bottom, and then they're scraped, they're raked off the bottom of the, of the clarifier. What, what the industry has also done, and these are, excuse me, very common now, are what are called parallel plate separators, or lamella. It's kind of like calling tissue Kleenex. Lamella clarifiers, and what those are, are is a series of plates. And I apologize, I don't know the angle. There's a specific angle that these plates are put in. And the water is forced up these plates. And what that does is helps with separation. You also get contact with the sludge that hits the plates, building the particles larger and make them settle out. And so the reason those are nice is they really, in, we, in our industry, you know, the AWT market, you're going to see a lot of those because they take up a fairly small footprint compared to circular or, or, or square uh, uh, rectangular clarifiers. So... You either going to bottom line here. You're either going to float the material, or you're going to let it sink. So it's going to be one of the two. It's either going to float or sink, or then you have plants that doesn't go anywhere, and you got a problem. But typically, it, it'll it'll either float or sink, and that's called primary clarification. And in those applications, this is where you feed your coagulants and your flocculants. And what you're trying to do with a coagulant 
is you're trying to neutralize very, very, very tiny particles. If you think of these tiny particles as being magnets in the water, and they all have negative charges, and they're bouncing off of each other, and they don't want to come together, we put in a coagulant, be it an inorganic or organic coagulant, and what it does is it neutralizes those charges and now allows for those particles to come together and become bigger. You also hear the word pin flock, create a pin flock. Well, their particles are a little bigger, but they're still not as big as we want them to be to either sink or to float. They're, they're, but, but at the same time, they will eventually sink or float much quickly, much more quickly than they would if they weren't coagulated. So now we have these little pin flocks created. We then feed a flocculant, which is, if you think of it as being a long chain of pearls. And on the pearls, maybe every fifth pearl is a red pearl. And that pearl, that red pearl is a charge site. And so now these big, long strand of pearls come in, and they attract these little pin flocks to make them bigger. And in the case of settling, they'll settle faster because they're bigger. If they're floating, you can, while you're flocculating it, you can indeed even entrap air and have them rise to the top more quickly. So in the, in the primary uh, step in the wastewater treatment, this is really where the coagulants and flocculants are fed to help with those reactions, those rise or settling. I, I guess I should also note, the other materials can be fed there would be things like metal precipitants, if you're trying to take metals out, um, maybe some kind of an, a lime if you're trying to take phosphate out. It really, this is really where the rubber hits the road, where you're really removing the big contaminants and what you're really trying to take out of a system is in the primary clarification. And so again, that's where, that's where the majority of the chemicals are being sold and where usually the biggest focus is at when you're you know, walking and, and learning about a treatment plan. Kevin, I got to tell you, that was the clearest and most concise definition of what a plant is and what it does that I have ever heard. That's amazing. Well, thank you. It's, it's, it's come from a lot of, I really enjoy working with young people in the industry. Love it. Always have loved it. And I've always felt that how do I make it as clear? And again, Trace, no pun intended here. How can I make it as clear as possible for them? And, you know, I, I, I wish I could take uh, credit for the Pearl description. That was taught to me, God, you know, 35 years ago, and, I, and it's always stuck with me. And a lot of times when I do the class, I'll actually have a Pearl, and we're not going to get into molecular weights and charge and all that right now, but, but I'll have a, these little strand of Pearls, and I'll explain it. And I can see people's eyes kind of start to understand it. Um, I've also heard flocculation be, be described as flypaper where it's sticking, things stick to it. You know, I, I've seen that too. And, uh, but to me, th this is really the essence of, of what we try to do in the training at the AWT is really give the folks some kind of an idea what they're going to see when they walk in. So I thank you for that, but it's, I appreciate that. It, it's been, it's been a, lot of, a lot of working to get that so I can explain to people what they're seeing when they're looking at precipitation, coagulation, and flocculation. Well, I think many water treaters get caught up in the big words and trying to prove to the other party that's listing how smart they are. And what ends up happening is the other party has no idea what they're talking about, but they're too embarrassed to say that. So they walk away not knowing anything more than when the conversation started. 
And I love it when people that have a huge amount of information like yourself can boil that down so now everybody can get in the party. So thank you for doing that. And you better believe I am stealing that Pearl demonstration. <laughs> like I said, well, you, if you really want to take it to the, to the final end on that, what in, in, the, in, the, in flocculence, the flocculence can be cationic or non-ionic or anionic. For the most part, the non-ionics are just very, very, very low anionic. So you really have negatively charged and positively charged. So when I do my talk, I have one strand of pearls with red pearls, and then I have one with green pearls, and just, you know, and talk about, you know, and then you can make the strand longer or shorter, depending on how long the molecular weight is, or add more colored pearls to increase the charge density. So it's something that's always stuck with me. So um, be happy to give you a tutorial on how to put your pearls together for, for, for the talk, but that's, that's the best way I found. Yeah. So once primary clarification is done, we move into secondary. And secondary clarification is really where you're going to take out some of the dissolved materials, specifically the BOD, COD, things that can be biologically broken down. All right. In our industry, I don't know what the percentage would be, but I don't think we're going to see a lot of the secondary treatment. We may. A lot of, a lot of the food plants, almost every food plant, will have secondary treatment. And what happens there is you have bugs. And when I started in this industry, and the first time I heard somebody call them bugs, I just looked at them like, really? That's the word you use? And that is the word that is accepted when we talk in this industry. So what happens is you have these aeration ponds where bubbling air all the time. And there's bugs in there. And these bugs will eat the organics and break them down. Okay, And these bugs will break these organics down, cleaning the water. And then this water that has all these bugs in it will be taken and brought into a clarifier, just like we just talked about, where they'll settle out. The clean water will continue. We'll get into where the clean water goes in a minute. But the, the sludge, the bug sludge that settles to the bottom that is one of two things can happen to that. They can either recycle that back to the beginning of the uh, secondary treatment, or they can waste it to get rid of some of the bugs. Now, here's why, and this, this is another little way somebody explained this to me that stuck with me my entire career. If you think of the biological aerobic digester, is what it's called an aerobic digester, there's air present as a community. And you think of that as being people, okay? And you have these bugs, basically people, and you have young bugs, you have medium-age bugs, and you have old bugs. And if you think of our society, really the young people, the young babies and stuff, really don't do a whole lot of work for the society. But now you get to the middle age, you know, young adults to, you know, um, little older adults, really who do the primary work within our society. Then you have the elderly, which really don't do a lot of work. So what happens is, in this bug community now, if you start getting too young, the bugs are too young, you don't get a lot of work. If the bugs start getting too old, you don't get a lot of work, work being removed of the organics. So what these customers will do is they'll take this sludge and they'll analyze it. And they'll say, well, we're getting too old. We're going to waste some of the sludge to move the, the, the sludge age more down into the medium range. And, and conversely, if we have too young of a sludge, we won't waste, we'll let those bugs become older and become more in that center group. And so I, I, that's always stuck with me on how to explain 
biological treatment. So what you're trying to do is have a healthy community of bugs, which break down the organics and, and clean the water and taking the organics out. And you do that by aeration, where you have the air, just like our society, air. You have food, food being the waste that's coming in. And then you have the bugs, the communities that are breaking this material down. And again, that's called secondary treatment. Once again, Kevin, the best definition I have ever heard of that being described. Outstanding. I give, I give credit where credit is due on this one. That was not me. That was a gentleman up at the waste treatment plant. He was the plant operator. And I had a young girl I was, tr I was training there with me. And, and we were talking and I was walking through. He goes, do you mind if I get involved? I go, no, no, not at all. And he's the one that came up and gave me that description on how it worked. And that's always stuck with me. And I've always felt that that is one of the best ways to describe what's happening in a biological treatment. I mean, it's so much more complicated than that. But that, John, and, and, I, and I, I have no problem. I, I stole it and I said, can I use it? He goes, use it. And I've used that, that basic description of a biological treatment plant as long as I can remember. And uh, th I mean, that's probably back. I probably did that back in my, that would have been my Calgon days is when, or Deer, might have been Dearborn, I can't remember. But it, I think it just gives, it paints a picture of what a biological, biological treatment plant is all about. And a lot of people are, are concerned about that. You know, it, it's, it, there's some little bit of hocus pocus that can go on there. I mean, you know, you, you can sell, you know, bioaugmentation, which is great. What that does is it'll focus in on specific materials that need to be taken out. Um, so a lot going on in the biological treatment plants. But thank you. And again, that, that, def, that description was something that uh, an, uh, an operator, and boy, I'll tell you what, I get a little aside here. You get to know the plant operators. These guys work with it every day, and I've learned so much from those guys. They have, they have, they have taught me so much information because they deal with it every day. And I think the true water professional takes from one plant and makes it work, and not makes it work, but uses that information to help the next plant. Totally agree with that. Totally agree with it. I, I really, really enjoy working with the operators and, you know, hearing their, their troubles and why they do what they do and, you know, what this happens and things along this line. So, but thank you. But that, that's basically, in a nutshell, and when you're looking at a secondary treatment, you know, some of the things you can sell is if the sludge age gets out of whack, if it's a really good sludge age, you don't need a polymer to help it settle. It'll settle on its own. But if it gets out of whack one way or the other, you typically need some kind of a flocculant, usually a cationic flocculant, to help it settle out better, whether the sludge is too old or too young, help it settle out better. We did talk a little bit about bio-augmentation. What are some of the bugs you can sell them or, or enzymes you can sell them to help them increase their removal and, and have a healthy community. Uh, nutrients are another area that, that are required. Phosphates are required, sometimes ammonia. But those are materials that can be fed into these plants to keep them healthy, keep a healthy bug in, uh, colony so you're getting good removal. Um, I should mention that's what's called aerobic digestion in the presence of air, just like we think of in our communities. Some of the sludge is then taken to what are called anaerobic digesters. And what that is, is what you're trying to do there is reduce the volume of sludge through an anaerobic digestion. All right. I don't do a lot of work in those, so I really can't speak to those. But a lot of times the sludge will come from some of the sludge will be brought into an anaerobic digester. And what you're doing there, again, is reduce the amount of sludge 
you're creating methane, and it's just a way of reducing the amount of sludge that you're generating in a waste treatment plant that has a biological treatment plant. Because to haul that off, that's an extra expense. Exactly, exactly. And so what you're trying to do, and not always, but in most cases, you're trying to reduce the amount of sludge that you're generating. And an aerobic digester will do that, will reduce the amount, the volume of biological sludge that you're generating. Very good. So that, so we've gone through, we've gone through screening, equalization, primary clarification, secondary clarification. The next area is what's called thickening. And what thickening is, is simply what you're doing is you're taking the bugs that you've generated either via the use of aerobic or anaerobic digestion, and you're reducing that. And the first step is what's called sludge thickening. And what you're simply doing there is if you were to think very much just like a clarifier we've already talked about, you're bringing that sludge in there, and there's a lot of water in that sludge. And so what you're trying to do is you're trying to thicken that sludge. You're trying to get as much of the gross water out of that as possible. And simply there, typically a flocculant is used, sometimes a coagulant and flocculant, but you're trying to just simply reduce the amount of water coming out of the biological treatment plant. And again, it's called sludge thickening. Again, it's basically a clarifier. I have seen DAF units be there being used also, but some kind of a piece of equipment to take gross amounts of water out of the biological sludge prior to the next step. So what's called the thickening step. And not all plants will have that. Uh, Again, back to one of my very early comments, is not every plant will have this, but just understand that people can have it. And it's really basically a thickening step to take gross amounts of water out. All right? And so from thickening, the next step, and really very important step now, is sludge dewatering. And, you know, in some cases, you know, you can call thickening being part of sludge dewatering. But the, the, the sludge dewatering is really where you're taking the sludge and you're taking and making and taking as much water as possible. You know, Trace, it's amazing. To this day, when I see sludge coming off the end of a centrifuge or off a belt press or off, uh, you know, a, 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 val- a plate and frame press, you know, there's probably, there can be 60 to 70% water in that sludge. And I stand there and I look at that and I say, really? I mean, it looks dry. I mean, it just, so, so it always just amazes me is how much water, even after sludge dewatering, how much water can remain in that sludge. But basically what you're trying to do, and it's going to be a little difficult to explain this, but you're basically trying to coagulate or flocculate the flocks, the flocks making them even larger and which then repels the water from the sludge. And then you take, and in the case of a belt press or a plate and frame, you put that sludge either onto a, onto a, like a, uh, a cloth, and the water then percolates through the cloth, leaving the remaining sludge behind. And in the case of a belt press, you know, it's pressed a little more to get more of the water out. In the case of a plate and frame, it's pressurized by the pump to push more water out of the sludge, and you're always constantly trying to dry the sludge, reduce the amount of water, reduce haul-off costs. Um, Or in the case of a centrifuge, you're spinning it and spinning the solids out of the sludge to make a drier, what we call a drier cake. So it's sludge dewatering, and sludge dewatering from a a lucrative standpoint can be very lucrative. We always joke, 
A centrifuge and a belt press will take polymer. A plate and frame typically does not. Um, not 100% of the time, but when you add polymer to a belt press, you're basically trying to break out free water, which then drains down through the cloth in a belt press. Or in the case of a centrifuge, you're trying to make the particles larger, which then helps with uh, centrifuging, the larger particles spin further and, and, and more effective, more efficiently, leaving water behind. In the case of a plate and frame, what happens there is the pump is pushing into these cavities that, are, that have claws on them, and as it's pumping in, the pressure from the pump is forcing the water through the sludge and then through the claws in and out. So those are, there's other ways of doing it, but those are the three most common Centrifuge where you're spinning the sludge and allowing the heavier sludge to go to the outside of the, of the spin in the centrifuge, leaving water behind. Belt press where you have sludge hitting on a belt that's continually moving. The water percolates down through the sludge. Then a second belt comes and you, you get two belts coming together and it goes through a series of rollers that press the water out. And then lastly, a plate and frame. In essence, you have these caverns, these, these uh, uh, plates that are, that are hollow, but on the inside of the, of the plates is a uh, filter cloth, which the pump pressure pushes the sludge up against the claws, and then water percolates through the, the sludge, through the claws, and then is disposed of. And that's called sludge thickening. And there, you know, if from, a, from a treatment standpoint, a lot of times there are significant amount of uh, a product is needed for sludge dewatering. So that's the, the, the next step. So we've gone screening, equalization, primary clarification, secondary clarification, thickening, sludge dewatering. And then lastly, the last, the last and, and again, this is not always, but filtration. And, and what happens in filtration is what you're trying to do there is you're trying to take the last small amount of particles that may carry over from the clarifier or carry over from the DAF unit, you want to take those out. So there'll be some kind of a filtration step at the end of a waste treatment plant. And uh, it can be sand, it can be um, what, what, a variety of different mechanisms used to just basically filter. And it's really just kind of the last step um, to, to reduce any kind of carryover that you might uh, get from the waste treatment plant. And there, you know, you can do you can do some things there with with polymers um, to help uh, with you know catching any of the last little bit. I've seen companies do what's called a pre coat, where they'll feed polymer prior to the filter, coat the uh, coat the particles, and then whenever the particles come through, they tend to stick a little better to the sand or the media, whatever the media may be. So um, I, I know I, I know that Nalco had done that quite a bit uh, back in. Uh, Back when I was in the field, quite often they would do what's called a pre-coat of a of a sand filter. So, but the, and that's the last step. So, so that's basically walking someone through a waste treatment plant. You know, these are these are the steps. You're not going to see them all, but you potentially these are things you could see. And you know, my my recommendation is when you're going through, ask ask what are you trying to do here? Um, you know, what are you trying to remove? What are you tr what what is this piece of equipment used for? Operators love to tell people about their plants, um, so uh, I've I've always found it fascinating, you know, how they explain things and 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 uh, you know, willing to work with you to really explain what you're trying to do in a facility. 
Kevin, this has been fantastic. Again, those were some great explanations. So I, I want to thank you for that. You know, I want to bring you back and let's uh, next week talk about what the water treatment professional needs to do now that they know what's inside the plant. I would be honored to do it again. Excellent. Nation, I told you that Kevin Cope is just fantastic when it comes to painting pictures, just like you are there. I know you are all walking through the wastewater plant as he is describing it. And folks, there's just so much great information. We are going to continue with Kevin next week. So I look forward to talking with all of you next week as Kevin Cope joins us to conclude this episode. Have a great week, folks.